Good morning. Well, it's good to see you out there. I'm glad you're there. <laughs> uh, okay, Bill Sullivan says, yeah, we're glad you're glad you're there too. So praise God for that. Uh, notice I didn't come up with a computer today. Uh, two reasons for that. One is uh, I uh, don't really know PowerPoint at all. I haven't even tried it. So that automatically excludes that. And the second is the last time I tried using a computer in, in preaching was a total disaster. That was over in Kenya during the pastor seminar just a few weeks ago, or a few months ago now, and uh, I got my laptop ready to go and uh, switched it on and took it up to the uh, pulpit and uh, was ready to start sharing, and it just suddenly went blank. And I had to keep playing, playing with it. Finally, I realized I hadn't turned off the, uh, what's that mode you call it, the sleeping mode or whatever, hibernation mode or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. So every time I got it coming on, it went off in the 30 seconds or whatever. That was really hard to preach from that. Uh, and so uh, I saw Gordon having a hard time with technology last week. I thought, let's not even go there this week. So here I am. I'm also wearing my bishop suit today. In, uh, in thanksgiving to uh, Bishop Onguko, who gave it to me over in Kenya. And uh, I, I really like it. That's not the sort of thing I thought I would ever wear, but I, I've, I'm growing to like it more and more anyway. Uh, <clears throat> let me just start by saying a few things about Shirley and my time over in Kenya. You know, we were there for two months. The team was there for only two weeks. And uh, we had a great time. Uh, we saw God move in our lives in uh, very interesting ways. I'm going to share a testimony about that in a little bit, but uh, we also had a time to meet with some really wonderful, wonderful friends, family of ours, we call them, uh, just uh, get together with our kids and uh, our sons and daughters, many of them are now really in ministry in various ways, and what a blessing it was just to sit and interact with them. We had many of them come up to our home there in Tigoni, which is high in the hills, overlooking the tea and the coffee growing out there, and those of you who were blessed to uh, go visit our home, we... Uh, I think you saw what a lovely setting that was, and Patty's smiling. Thank you, Patty. <laughs> uh, uh, we, we thank God for that place. It's just a good place to get away from the city. Nairobi's becoming less and less bearable to live in, uh, especially to drive around in, and it's a good uh, place to get away. God just enabled us to invite many of our family up there. You know, we've been in Kenya for 30-some years, and uh, we've just got lots of sons and daughters and grandsons and great-grandsons and daughters and people, at least in discipleship uh, generations, uh, they are there. And uh, we had a wonderful time with them. One of our special great-granddaughters, who's a missionary in uh, Rwanda, we thought we'd have a chance to go over and see her, and we were praying to that end, but God worked it out for her to come to see us. It was much better to do it that way, certainly a lot cheaper to do it that way. And, uh, in fact, she needed to come to Nairobi anyway for some dental work, and turned out she got typhoid when she was in Nairobi. Uh, but, uh, and so we're glad that didn't happen when she was over in Rwanda. Uh, but Leah is doing a great work over there among students, uh, first of all at the university and now at a technical college in, in Kigali. And uh, we thank God for the way he's using her life. And one of her daughters also, so it would be our great-great-granddaughter, Penny, Chepkowetz has been working with her. Penny got to come and see us and spend a night with us and uh, so many others. It was just a real joy to be with them. Then another special joy was to uh, be with uh, our family as they're going through some very serious transitions and trials in their lives right now. One of them especially 
he and his wife had just made a very, very serious mistake in their ministry. And uh, those of you who have been in ministry and made some serious mistakes uh, know what the pain of that is like. And uh, we had the chance of being there to try to encourage, lift them up, and help them through that time of transition. Part of the transition included losing their car, losing their computer through a theft, uh, getting somebody involved in ministry over there who shouldn't have been involved in ministry. Um, But God is redeeming that. God is the mighty redeemer of all of our mistakes. I really thank him for his grace and his mercy in doing that. Uh, The team that we developed for many, many years, the Trinity Fellowship Discipleship team right there in the city of Nairobi, are going through a major transition along with everybody in the Trinity Fellowship throughout the country. Uh, For many years, they've uh, had a lot of financial support from outside the country. But uh, during this latest economic crisis that's hit the world, all of that economic financial support has been totally cut off. And now they're having to look to the Lord for their provision. This was something that we wanted to encourage them to do 15 years ago. And it ended up in our leaving the ministry rather than their leaving the ministry. But now we see that perhaps that wasn't the right time. Now is the right time. And God has prepared them for it. And God is working in their hearts to prepare them to just reach out and trust him to do the work that he has called them to. And we're grateful to God for that. It's been wonderful to see and talk with individuals who have learned over these years to keep walking with God and to trust God for what he can do in their lives. And uh, we thank God for that. Uh, There are times when God gets all of us in very sticky places, and, or allows that to happen for the prime purpose, I think, of just revealing himself to us. How faithful, how wonderful, how kind he is. Another good experience we had was uh, getting to go to the National Missions Mobilizers meeting, their first meeting ever. Uh, it was actually, some of you also know that For the last five years we were in Kenya, we were working with a group called Finish the Task, or sometimes also called Africa Center for Missions. And things really weren't going very well in that group. In fact, uh, we left uh, that group to come back to the States to take care of my auntie uh, a few years ago. And as we were leaving, we just kind of felt like that group really had no future. Well, God is turning that around. We saw people in whom God is birthing missions vision around Kenya, come to that missions mobilizers meeting. And to me, that was a great, great encouragement. And we're excited because God is continuing the work that he sent us over there to do 31 years ago or to help get established. And he's also doing other things, really extending the work in the other countries as well. Again, we're thankful for that. Another big joy of ours was working with the TCF missions team. Um, This was something that we were really looking forward to. Having part of TCF in our, I can't really call it native land, but can I call it homeland? Kenya is still where we feel much more at home than here in the United States. And uh, having them in our home, actually. They're outside of Nairobi and then going with them up to Kakamega. But uh, this team, as far as I'm concerned, was top-notch. Uh, from the youngest to the oldest. 
And we saw, actually, Shirley and I have never been so proud of TCF in all of our 39 years or 37 years of association with this body as we were with that team. And I think we can just be proud in a good sense, proud of what God has been doing in our lives, their lives, your lives, because of what we saw happen through the team in Kenya. I could go on and tell stories and stories about that, but I don't think that's what God has on his agenda for my sharing this morning. So let me get a bit closer back to the prime message. Actually, it's not really that much of a sermon, per se, that I'll be sharing this morning, but just kind of sharing some thoughts from my life and some of the things that God has been teaching me the last few weeks. And I'm going to begin with a testimony that happened, uh, well, it happened on June the 1st of this year. 4.30 in the morning. Um, that's when the alarm clock rang, and it was one of those days I couldn't reach over and hit the snooze button. Have you ever done that? I, I, I still do that occasionally. And, uh, but that morning I couldn't roll over and hit the snooze button. I had to pull myself out of bed and uh, somehow get myself to the bathroom and start getting cleaned up and whatever. And I, uh, I sure didn't feel like it. I was exhausted. Shirley and I had been up late the night before, working hard. Uh, hadn't gotten asleep. My mood level was really seriously depressed. Now, some of you in this congregation know, the rest of you will know in a moment, that I struggle heavily with depression at times in my life. And that was one of those mornings. I, when I feel that bad, the only thing I can gratefully embrace is bed. And, uh, but that wasn't an option at that particular time because... In two hours, 19 people from TCF were going to be landing in Nairobi. And they were counting on me to meet them at the airport and to coordinate all of their activities basically for the next 12 days. Again, I would say that we've been happy that they were coming, but uh, we knew God had initiated the mission, but that moment there was absolutely no way that I could somehow conjure up or jack myself up to be able to do what was going to be happening, what I needed to do for the next 12 days and even that morning. When I'm struggling with depression, I don't do well with lots of people around. Shirley knows that. She knows my ins and outs of all of this. But these were depending on me. Uh, I couldn't cop out. Still, I knew that I didn't have the resources within myself to even get in the shower get dressed, to walk out of the house. At that point, I wanted to run and hide. It was one of those horrible experiences. There are many of you here who also struggle with depression. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about. But instead of running and hiding, which I couldn't do, I went the only other place I could go, and that was to my father. You know, the one who's enthroned in heaven? I like to think of him as my hands-on father. Not remote, not who I refer to occasionally as our Father who art in heaven or when I'm beginning any other prayer, Father, we pray about this and whatever. No, I think of him as a very hands-on Father with me, raising me, nurturing me, training me, uh, helping me to grow up into the likeness of Christ, caring for me, teaching me, disciplining me, molding and shaping my life. I think of God as the master craftsman. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you 
The rest of that, of course, is fishers of men, but the emphasis is on, I will make you. In Ephesians 2.10, after those great verses on grace, it says, we are his workmanship. God is the master craftsman, the master artist, who is carefully molding and shaping our lives, your life, my life, for a purpose, to shape us and make us into the image of Jesus Christ. So he's the one I turned to that particular morning. While I was still kind of in that stupor, and I heard, trust me, not audibly, but deep in my spirit, I heard my father say, trust me. And my reply to that was, Father, this is your mission. It's not mine. You are the one who's brought this mission into being. You're the one who's put me on the spot at this very moment. You know very well how I feel, the struggle I'm Uh, facing, you know I'm not up to this, but because this is your mission, because you have called me to it, I can trust you to give me the energy and the wisdom for every situation I'm about to face. And over the next few minutes, the next couple of hours, as I was, hour actually, as I was getting ready to leave the house, God began to change my attitude. I was so low, I had to look up to touch bottom. But when I left the house, I was raring to go. Heading to the airport, ready to face the challenges. I didn't feel all that strong, but something within me knew that with God, I was that strong. There was a sense that Father God was going to handle everything that came my way. There were a lot of challenges, even that very day. Those of you who are on the Kenya team know, and some of you, the rest of you know, maybe read about it in, in the report, I think one of the reports I sent, I lost my wallet on the way home from the airport. We'd stopped at a uh, convenience store to pick up Peter Mbuga, my colleague, whose car I was driving, and he was going to be driving up to Kakamega with a lot of equipment. He was going to be part of our team while we were there in teaching on discipleship, and quite a help he was in so many ways. And uh, As I got out of the car, I dropped my wallet without realizing it on, on the tarmac there, and just kept walking around. There were lots of uh, workers around, and I uh, didn't realize that it was gone until it was really gone. Nobody there owned up to having picked it up, but it wasn't under the car. It wasn't in the seat of the car. It wasn't anywhere else around. And, and I couldn't worry about that. I just had to pick up and go on. And, you know, God enabled me to do that, just to leave it behind. Thankfully, God worked it out for uh, Chris Staub to be able to text her husband over here, and he got the message to call my sister. My sister was able to cancel my credit card, and uh, that was the only thing I was concerned about, and uh, God took care of that. Lots of other challenges the next 12 days, and as I look back on it now, I see that God carried me that whole time. He buoyed me up. There was a sense of his glory and his presence about every day that I was there, especially with the team. And there was joy and peace that passes understanding. To me, that's a very great miracle compared to where I was on the morning of June the 1st. If you know something about the depression, I think you can understand that. There were lots of other factors that contributed to my being very down that day. And I, uh, uh, well, anyway... I won't share those, I won't take the time to do that, but God surmounted all of them. And for the next 12 days, I would say it was a walking miracle. Actually, 
For me to survive those pressures for one day was a miracle. To survive those pressures for 12 days was something akin to God recreating the heavens and the earth in my books. Well, at least it was a resurrection. Heaven came down. We used to sing that song. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. God came down. Father came down. He lifted me and enabled me to serve him. I want to thank God for that. Can I give him that testimony this morning? I've already done it, but I hope you'll say amen with me and praise God. And Today, what I have to share, I want to use that as a backdrop. Uh, the little teaching or whatever that I asked Father to give me and he seemed to lead me to. Uh, it's called Living in the Power of Heaven. Living in the Power of Heaven. Now, as I get into this little bit of the message, I want to give a little disclaimer also. I'm just still in the process of learning. Since those days of glory and being on the mountain, I've also had days of being back in the pit again. I don't like it there. There have been days I haven't done very well. Those happen to have been the days when I didn't look so closely to my father. I just succumbed to the depression. But I'm learning when I remember to turn to my Father, to my Savior, to the Holy Spirit, I'm learning from these past few weeks through a number of other experiences that God has the power to buoy me up when I am totally empty. I've seen him do it more than once now. Even standing here in front of you today, I consider a miracle sharing this main message for the morning. For one thing, I'm normally used to speaking on discipleship themes, and I'm not speaking about a so-called discipleship theme today, and this is kind of a new theme for me. It's new because it's really new in my experience and new in my understanding, and yet I felt like this is what God said he wanted me to share. Uh, also in Kenya, I'm used to speaking to Kenyan audiences, and they don't mind if I go for an hour and a half. Uh, but Jim Garrett reminded me today that the children's church teachers might not quite like that. Anyway, a few weeks ago, just about a week or so before Jim Garrett called and asked me to come and take the time this morning to share with you, I was asking Father what scriptures he wanted me to focus on. Have you ever gotten to the point in your quiet time or your Bible reading when you just want a shift of direction or shift of style of what you're doing and... Uh, so you ask God to give you a, a new direction. That was one of those days. And he seemed to impress me with the need to go back and consider the teachings of Jesus. After all, Jesus did say in John chapter 8, if you continue in my words, you are truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And one of the great things that we are supposed to be doing as we go out and make disciples, which, as you all know, is kind of the theme of my life anyway, is teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And that word observe means a lot more than just obey. It means have a very close look at, scrutinize, meditate on, see how it applies to your life. And then do it. Prayerfully consider it. Ask God to show you what that means. Now, I've Amplified it a little bit more than perhaps 
the original meaning in the scripture there, but I think that's what Jesus had in mind. So I turned to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and I actually didn't get beyond verse 3, the very first beatitude, the very first words that Jesus spoke in that very famous sermon. These words are recorded on the front of your bulletin. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I suppose many of you in this uh, congregation could quote that verse of scripture just so easily. Either you memorized it in Bible Bowl or memorized it some other time in your life, or you're just so familiar with it, it's there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that was a few weeks ago. And I still haven't gotten beyond verse 3. Perhaps that's one of the reasons, or perhaps one of the reasons I haven't gone beyond verse 3 is because that's what God has been impressing me to share with you today as well. It's really hard for me just to read something like that and quickly pass over it and get to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm a kind of guy who likes to dig things out and meditate on the Scripture, um, analyze it. I wanted to know some things about what did Jesus really intend by saying this. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And what I came up with is probably a little bit different from the standard thing, at least that I've been thinking all these years, about just being humble. Humility is definitely very much a part of it. But let let me take you through some steps of getting there, not getting towards humility, but getting to understand that that's what this verse means. Poor in spirit, what does it mean to be poor? I tried to uh, come up with some synonyms on that. I came up with things like destitute, poverty-stricken, having insufficient resources, impoverished, being totally needy. And then I did what uh, some of the other people around here do. They, I went to the Greek lexicon, and I found that the word poor is tokos, P-T-O-C-H-O-S, which would be the transliteration into English. And it's taken from a verb which means to crouch. Now, how does that have to do with poor? The lexicon and some other helps I went to came up with this. Crouching as though you were a beggar. In fact, the word tokas uh, also means beggar. Crouching as though you were a beggar with no earthly hope. Reduced to beggary. Helpless, powerless, needy, lacking. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are destitute, lacking in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm thinking today of poor in spirit in these ways. Poverty stricken. Totally needy. Having insufficient resources when it comes to the things of the spirit. Being totally impoverished when it comes to having spiritual power to overcome sin and human weaknesses. Totally in need of God's intervention in our lives. Being poverty stricken even in our attitudes, our thoughts, our emotions, our mental abilities, our wisdom, our knowledge, our know-how of how to get things done. Those are spiritual issues as well. Totally incapable of doing anything significant for God and for others within our own human resources. Poor and needy in our own spirit as well as in regard to the things of the Spirit of God himself. 
It's hard to think of ourselves that way. It really is. One of the commentaries I looked at describes being poor in spirit as those who are in their deepest consciousness, they realize their entire need. Another one says, poverty of spirit is self-emptying conviction that before God we are void of everything. Being as little children in our opinion of ourselves. Being poor in spirit is recognizing that we are destitute and poverty-stricken when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to even our own resources, human resources, to live life the way God made us to live. Being poor in spirit, recognizing that, and then turning to God (coughs) for his strength and his power to work through us. It's all of that. Recognizing that that's our condition within ourselves and before God and totally dependent upon him for his strength and his power to work in and through us. I have a sense that every one of us here has our own unique combination of weaknesses, hardships, trials, limitations, failures, and so on that you live with. Uh, I hope this isn't news to anybody, but that's not unusual. Though there are probably some people who get down on themselves for thinking that I'm such a loser or whatever you think about yourself in very negative terms. (coughs) Actually, that's a good position to be in, according to Jesus. If we don't realize those things about ourselves, we're not going to be able to experience the full power of God in our lives that he wants to give us. The Apostle Paul discovered something like this. You're familiar with uh, that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want, you can turn with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And let me read just a few verses, verses 7 through 10. Actually, Paul tells us that he learned the power of being weak. He learned the importance of being weak from God himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. He says, And to keep me from being elated, or too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I think the Apostle Paul learned, I think he learned very early in his life as a Christian, his, in his career as a minister, and as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
he said to keep him from being elated by from being elated by so many revelations. And God gave him a lot of revelations, I think, very much in the very beginning of his ministry. He learned about Jesus a lot just through personal revelation, even before he went to consult with the apostles. And I think God then started bringing those thorns in the flesh to him so he could learn the importance of being weak and the power of being weak. Too often we as Americans have this can-do spirit. I can do so much. And, and we're fed with that kind of stuff all the time. Um, and sense of rugged independence. Everything we try to do in our own strength. But when we try to be holy and overcome all the temptations that come our way in our own strength, we soon realize it's impossible. We can't do it. God knows that. And we have to learn that. Sometimes we have to relearn that lesson. I've, I think I'm in the process of relearning that lesson. But when we turn to Father God, we learn that he has all the power of heaven already at our disposal. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I can't imagine anything vaster or more powerful or more glorious than all of the kingdom of heaven. And it's ours. Privileged are the poor in spirit. Special are the poor in spirit. Favored are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of heaven's resources are available to those of us who need them. If we recognize our own poverty and we come to God for his help. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 The Apostle Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer. God has already blessed us with it. Not only forgiveness of sins, cleansing from sins, but the power and strength to live a Christian life. And uh, later on in that same chapter, verse 18 and following, Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that, you, uh, that God would reveal to you the immeasurable greatness of his power at work in us who believe, which is according to the working of his great might when he raised Christ from the dead and seated, at him, him, seated Christ, him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. If that same power is at work within us, that's absolutely such great power none of us can conceive. We can't conceive of the power it took to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and then to lift him up into the heavens and seat him at the right hand of God the Father. We can't conceive of that power. But again in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul goes on to pray that God would grant us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Later he says, that God, by the power at work within us, is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Philippians 4.13, I think, Jim, didn't you refer to that scripture a few weeks ago? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus said in John 15.5, apart from me you can do nothing. I didn't say that. I don't like to hear that sometimes. And I don't live like that sometimes. But God's teaching me to become more and more dependent on him because apart from him, I can 
do nothing. I just need to depend on him, remain in him, abide in him. I hope you don't mind if I share another personal illustration with you. When I was growing up, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. My father was a preacher. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was good or bad, but anyway, uh, (laughs) they say awful things about preacher's kids. I was never one of those who wanted to rebel, but uh, whenever somebody preached on subjects like holiness, living a righteous life, witnessing, praying, doing all those things that we as Christians are supposed to do, in my younger years, I perceived those messages as a threat. Does anybody ever think of a message on holiness as a threat? Somebody comes along and preaches, you must be holy for God is holy, and they're almost beating you over the head with that scripture. Well, I had a little bit of beating with some of those scriptures when I was young. You've got to go out and witness. You've got to be a witness. You've got to tell people about Jesus. If you don't, they're going to go to hell. You know, those kind of sermons and... I, I knew it wasn't within me to do that. And yet if that's what God was expecting, God himself was somehow a threat to my life. Have you ever been threatened or felt threatened by such high standards in the Christian life? Yes. Oh, thank you. Who said that? <laughs> but you see, the high standards are not intended to be a threat, there to be a promise. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, after Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says a few words later that he's destined us in love to be holy and blameless before him. And if God is destined, that means he's planning for it to happen. He's planning to make it happen. And he knows good, well, that we can't do it. It's a destiny. It's not a threat. And every other thing, I can be a witness for Jesus. I don't have to be. I can pray. I don't have to pray. I can read the Bible. I get to. I can be filled with the Spirit. I don't have to struggle to be filled with the Spirit. It's a promise. It's a destiny. All of these things, God is a promise, not a threat. I am convinced that God has destined each of us for greater things in our lives that we haven't yet experienced. Even Jim Garrett back there, who's in the upper end of his 70s, right, Jim? 79? In October, okay. Greater things than we have even yet imagined. Even Bob and Shirley over there. Bob's retired, been retired for a little while. Shirley hasn't been working in the TCF office except as a fill-in occasionally. Some of the rest of us who are up in years. God has greater things destined for us than we can still imagine. And if he's destined these things for us, our God is committed to make them happen in and through us. All we have to do is learn how to cooperate. To be poor in spirit and to realize that we can't make it, but realize we've got a Father who has all of heaven available to us. 
just before I draw this message to a conclusion, and it's getting about that time, I want to share what I believe is one of God's recent challenges for me. And it came up when we were over in Kenya. Just a few weeks ago, we had some of our Trinity Fellowship staff up for a time of fellowship at our cottage in the hills. By the way, we're still using that cottage for their benefit. We've told them to come for a retreat anytime they want to. And if any of you want to go to Kenya for a great retreat, it might cost you $2,000 to get there, but it's a great place to hide away. For them, all they have to do is drive up a few miles and uh, get out of Nairobi. But anyway, we had some members of our staff there that uh, we didn't really know very well because they joined the ministry long after we turned it over. And there were two brothers there that gave me a challenge of something that I've resisted doing for many years. Over the years, many people have suggested that I write a book. Now, some of you know that I'm into publishing. I do editing, but I don't consider myself a creative writer. I'm editing Bible study materials, and I've edited some books for Ron Myers and for some of our Kenyan sons and daughters, but uh, I don't think of myself really as uh, worthy of writing a book. Uh, I haven't thought of my life in, in those terms, nor do I really want to promote myself in any way. And I think books have a tendency to do that. So I've resisted uh, writing a book all these years. However, this time, Brother Muruga, Brother Mwiti cornered me. The ladies were all inside the house doing something else, and just these two brothers and I were sitting outside in the sun and uh, sharing and fellowshipping. And Brother Muruga, who's this is actually my first time to meet him, uh, he's joined the staff just recently at Trinity Fellowship, and uh, he was very straightforward. That's a bit uncommon in Kenya. Kenyans like to beat around the bush. That's why they take an hour and a half to do a message. Uh, I don't know if that's why they do it or not, but anyway. They don't have the same sense of time that you and I have here in the West. Um, he was very direct. He said, I've heard of this Millard. Now, I, it kind of really startled me the way he was being so direct at me, because we just met basically a few weeks before that and hadn't really fellowshiped. He said, I've heard of this Miller, but who are you? Why did you start this ministry in the first place, this discipleship ministry that we're involved in? Well, I took some time to explain that, explain that God had put a burden on my heart to see that young people have a chance to get discipled, not just evangelized. And he put a heart, burden in my heart to train people to do that. And I went into a lot more detail than I'm doing with you right now. But how God had blessed us since we'd been there in 1978. And the ministry developed. It's still developing and growing. And we're so proud of that ministry as well, of what's been happening over the last 15 years since we handed over to the brothers and sisters there. Um, when I got finished sharing how the ministry had developed over the years, Muruga comes to me again, looks at me again, and says, you have to write this down. You've got to write it so the rest of us can know. So we can know why we're here, know what we're doing, what is our vision, and knowing why you instituted certain principles of the ministry and certain tools and methods of doing things. You've got, just got to write it. And Brother Mwiti was right along there saying, amen, amen, amen. And I, I've been steadfastly resisting writing anything like that. 
But God spoke to me that day and began to speak to me and continued speaking to me after that for a number of weeks that, yes, this was indeed his plan. Now, Jim Garrett knows how hard it is to write a book. I remember Chuck Ferris saying when he started to write his book that it was probably the hardest thing he ever did in his life. Paul King knows how hard it is to write a book. He's not here today, but Kathy's here. He's written several books. Uh, I don't relish the task. But if that's what God has called me to do, I'm now getting eager to get started. And that's the challenge that God has for me. Just in conclusion, then, I would like to leave you with this thought. Do not be afraid of being destitute, poverty-stricken, impoverished, needy, in any aspect of the Spirit, whether your own spirit or God's Spirit. Whether you're lacking in wisdom, knowledge, strength, spiritual power, any of the qualities of Christ-likeness or any kind of ability, or even if you struggle with debilitating issues like depression or mental illness or physical disabilities or social deprivation or whatever it is, <coughs> don't be afraid of that. God has a purpose to demonstrate his power in your life through that. Openly acknowledge your needs before God. Never think of any of these debilitating conditions or these needs, this impoverishment as and end in themselves, a hopeless end. If you maintain an attitude of hopelessness like that in yourself, that's fine, but never be hopeless when it comes to God. Lowliness before God, you open yourself to the whole kingdom of God. Jesus said, it is yours. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God of heaven. Praise God. Thank you, Miller. We appreciate it, brother. We not only appreciate your sharing from the Word, but we appreciate you sharing from your life and seeing how the Word has impacted your life. That's very important to us to see and witness. So the illustrations weren't just illustrations. They were a significant part of what God brought through you today. Don't we appreciate this, brother? Amen. Let's stand. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that when we are weak, you are strong. Help us, Father, not just to recognize that, but even to revel in that even to uh, rejoice in the reality that we are jars of clay, but you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And that when we are indeed poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is ours. We thank you for these great truths, Lord. We pray that as we find our own illustrations in our own daily lives, even in this coming week, for how we are weak, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would show your strength in our lives and mold us and shape us into your image and use us in your kingdom. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.